Welcome back to Reach for Wellness, a video podcast by Community Reach Center located in Westminster, Colorado. I'm your host, Vanessa Alarcón, a licensed clinical social worker. In today's episode, we will be focusing on transgender awareness. And before we get started on our topic, I did want to share that this is the first time that we are actually recording via video. And so if you would like to watch our video podcast. You can watch it on YouTube or you can also watch it on Facebook. And for our audio listeners, we're not going away. We will continue our audio recordings. So I'm so delighted to have our two guests here today. And so I would love to have the audience get to know both of you. So whoever wants to start, we can do some quick introductions. My name is April Einsland. I'm a peer support specialist here with Community Reach Center. I facilitate our queer chat, LGBT support group, I've been here for about uh, four and a half years total, with most of that having been with our peer support program, um, although I did start off with uh, Front Desk. Um, and yeah, I think that's all information for me. Awesome. Oh, deep breath. My name is um, Saber Diaz. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I have been at Community Reach for eight years. I started out as a peer specialist and uh, moved into a role to the North Glen outpatient as a therapist there after I graduated, of course. Um, so yeah, I think that's it too, but I do wanna do my shout outs. Yeah, go for those. it. Um, so I wanna shout out Michelle Dance. I wanna shout out my manager, Ryan Berry. Um, you know, that's it. I think that's, I'm gonna okay. stop right there okay. for yeah. shout outs. Yeah, no. Right. Both great, both great uh, staff members that work here at Community Reach Center. Yeah, oh, they're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, at least for our first question to really open it up, when someone says that they identify as a transgender individual, what does that mean? Because some people listening may not really understand, like, what that identity really means. Yeah, absolutely. So, when, when we're having discussions or, again, like, really acknowledging that is that, you know, it's a person's gender identity that's different from the sex that they were assigned to at birth, right? Mm -hmm. So that also opens it up to talking more about like gender identity, gender expression. So gender identity is like the internal um, sense of gender. So I am checking my notes right now. I'm sure everyone can see on video. Um, Probably take a second shot at him if you I know, right? Um, so, like, yeah, no pressure this time. Right, right. I'm just going to call it out, though. Um, so, so yeah, um, I want to make sure I get it right. So I printed something out. Uh, but gender identity, gender expression. So with gender identity, it's more of like an internal expression of gender. Um, and then also expression is an external display of gender for that person, right? And then we also get into way more categories like non-binary, which um, doesn't, um, the relationship with gender is, um, falls between or outside the binary of like man and woman. So then really when we talk, when we're talking about transgender, Mm -hmm. we're really talking about that gender identity piece that you're referring to. So that internal, Um, April, do you want to add anything to that definition? I, I think that's that's mostly pretty good. Um, I think I would add that um, there, there's a lot of different, um, you know, ident- sub-identities within the 
the non-binary umbrella um, with you know identities like gender queer or gender fluid mm-hmm. or um, demi gender like demi boy demi girl is typically how that's framed um, mm-hmm. and uh, or agender um, and obviously there's others that's just what comes to mind at the moment but um, those are overlapping experience with uh, experiences with um, the transgender experience, but not all non-binary people do identify as transgender. Um, there's a, a little bit of you know flexibility in there. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you both are bringing this up because I think a misconception might be, okay, well, I know the acronym LGBTQIA+, and then really focusing on how each of those identities really mean one thing. But what we're really talking about is that within these umbrellas of non-binary, there are these other identities, um, as you're mentioning. And so I think it's important for us to really understand that just because we learn about one thing today doesn't mean that you've kind of understand everyone's experience. Absolutely. And so when we ask that question, what does it mean? Mm-hmm. Then we go to the human and say, hey, what what is that like, right? Yeah. Or what does this experience look like? And what does it mean for you specifically? Right. Yeah. And obviously, always focusing on um, what that the individual person, uh, how they wish to be referred to and what language they use. Because even for very similar experiences, the language can be very different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really not a centralized thing. There's many cultural differences, um, especially with um, many indigenous. Um, there are many you know cultural perceptions of gender that differ from the conventional one that we have largely adopted here um, in the the United States. And as we get into this topic of all of these experience, lived and unique experiences from people within the U.S. American culture or others, what are some hardships that or challenges that someone that identify as transgender or non-binary, what may they experience? Sure. Um, so in the U.S. Um, and uh, particularly in other countries, um, there there is a very high um Unfortunately, homicide rate of trans people. Um, there's a great deal of stigma, harassment, um, uh, hate crimes, um, especially in the past few years with the uh, cultural backlash um, in many places towards uh, or against transgender people. Um, there have actually been, uh, I think, at this time, uh, seven laws uh, targeting transgender people. Um, Proposed to various state uh, legislatures in the United States, um, and there's um, been a great deal of pushback uh, overseas as well, um, particularly in the UK and Poland. Um, so uh, there's a large part of it is just a, a high level of stigma and um, poor treatment by others. Um, uh, I think that a lot of um, it has been my experience that a lot of transgender people um, struggle with mental health and, uh, in particular, isolation. Um, there are really high, high rates of um, suicidality, um, self-harm, eating disorders, um, substance use, and it, it's, it's something that it, I think that trans people are really a population who need, who have a lot of needs from the uh, behavioral health field, and um, I think that uh, unfortunately, trans people also have a 
very complicated and often negative relationship with the behavioral health field. Um, Why is that? Uh, well, historically, there's been a lot of um, the it, trans identity has been very much gate kept. Historically, um, a lot of harm has been done to trans people by uh, the diagnostic uh, um, procedure, um, just due to like the demands placed on uh, ex- self-expression and performance of conventional uh, femininity or masculinity. Mm. Uh, um, And unfortunately, that has created a a situation where a lot of trans people, um, and especially due to the the fact that transition is kept behind behavioral health care in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. um, there's a resentment and a sense that um, there's a need to be uh, deceptive with um, care providers Mm -hmm. in order to make sure that you're actually getting the care that you want. Um, And I think that's really created a a barrier to um, trans people accessing services for other um, wellness concerns. Yeah, so this lack of understanding from providers historically has really put a distance to receiving mental health services that maybe someone may want to access, but they may worry of perhaps being misunderstood. Yeah, I think there's more than like a a distance or anything like that, it's um, we're creating barriers for these people to get the health care that they need. Yeah. yeah. Like all of us need health care, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So like even as like providers, that's one thing that we also contribute to this system that is oppressed, right? The mm-hmm. mental health system. Um, and that that's the thing. Like, mm-hmm. Looking at, like, as a provider, am I creating a barrier to somebody's care, right? Mm. Because the system, the wider system, saying you need to see a therapist in order to do this, right? Mm. And then when the people get here, it's just another barrier, right? So there's many steps to healthcare, And so uh, I wanted to also talk a little bit about what April was talking about is, like, um, I think people will should absolutely like take a minute to think about like some of that experience with is like traumatizing right like the world isn't allowing space for it Mm -hmm. so isolation Mm -hmm. and all the other stuff comes with that right Mm -hmm. and it creates harm and overall they're not safe so if you if they step into a grocery store if they step in somewhere they're always in some sort of like unsafe space because of like who they are who they may present as or like whatever that looks like Mm -hmm. and so when you are working with somebody I feel like that's like maybe the number one thing to remember is even stepping into our waiting room it's unsafe and there's nowhere to use the restrooms that feels unsafe right and then you have to go in and ask for a letter so you can be who you are so you feel just a little bit safer in the world so it's a cluster of just crap, mm-hmm. of crap. So, uh, like, we really do have to acknowledge that, yeah. right? Yeah, and the barriers, and like you really emphasize, Saber, the barriers that are created by some of these systems. And you mentioned some of those things as a provider, mm-hmm. like from a provider perspective, but how about for the um, those that maybe are community members or someone that may be listening to this and is like, well, I'm not a healthcare 
provider. And so I don't know if I'm necessarily creating a barrier. What could we say to those people in that situation? Big ones that stand out for me are just understanding and being present with the person who is who you're speaking to and not putting all the cultural assumptions and um, trying to kind of interrogate who this person is or what this person's body might be like. <laughs> um, and to really just, you know, see us as people who you, uh, the same as you would see anyone else. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of time, a lot of invasive questioning um, from uh, cisgender, that's uh, non-transgender, uh, people that we might you know meet in passing or share a workspace with um, and that can be really alienating and very othering um, you know so really just you know respecting uh, the terminology that someone wants to have used for themselves um, not uh, treating us as something that is outside of the norm because <laughs> um, you know for the most part we're just Kind of trying to live our lives in the world and um, we don't need extra <laughs> extra stress placed on us by just um, trying to educate those around us um, all the time. So as we explore inclusivity as a society, as a community, and we can even think within the context of Adams or Broomfield County, um, what are some other ways that we can really help bridge those gaps? Um, one of the things that we've talked about in other episodes have been really being able to listen to the voices that um, are in these marginalized groups. And so we'd love to hear from both of you some more ways that we can create inclusive spaces in our communities. Yeah, you know, I think what you said is where it's at is mm -hmm. like we speak up, but we don't speak over. Mm -hmm. Right. And so um, I think it is important to get to the specific details of what's going on, whether it's in community or within our own agency or other agencies or whatever that looks like, right? Mm -hmm. And it is even getting down to the bare bone of like when somebody walks into any space, how is that person being honored in a way, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, and are we doing that? Yeah. Right? Did you want to add to that? I know you were getting a little bit more. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, more broadly with regards to just um, kind of more, a little bit more specific again, but mm -hmm. um, with regards to any healthcare setting yeah. or behavioral healthcare setting, I think it's very important that, um, you know, trans people aren't having to uh, disclose our, um, you know, dead names uh, is a, a term mm -hmm. sort of in being reviewed, reviewed at the moment, yeah. but um, yeah, our, our dead names to uh, the, maybe the front desk staff or, you know, having to speak those things potentially in a very, un, not a, an environment that makes us feel safe. Mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, a question of if we don't identify within a binary or for those of us who may not, um, you know, pass as cisgender, um, even if we do identify within a binary, um, there are difficulties accessing, feeling safe accessing um, bathrooms and not and other gendered uh, facilities and not feeling that we will be uh, pushed out. Um, so I think that it's important to have more, you know, gender either neutral or you know, single use um, spaces. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, which is like 
like being honest, right? Which that's like the the surface of what we can do, but we can't even start with the name, the pronouns, and helping individuals feel safe in, in the community or in spaces, right? So we're not even quite have enough time, I think, to even touch on like the harassment, the discrimination, and all the other system barriers to things, right? Mm-hmm. So when when we talk about that question, like what can people do? Well, one, start with the basic stuff, right? Like yeah. name, pronouns, the the whole respect, and then we're moving into more system stuff. And I do want to share like. Mm-hmm. Some of our um, clients who identify in this community has trouble accessing resources. So if anybody's experiencing homelessness and need to go to a shelter or anything like that, there there almost is a guarantee that they will face discrimination. Most of our shelters are run by churches or other organizations that don't quite have the same values, right? And so that person cannot step into that space and be who they are, right? So this is this is a huge question. I'm glad you're asking this. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of like a multi-level thing. Like we got to get to work. Yeah. Go ahead, April. And, and I think also a really important thing is just to, when you see people being treated poorly, and I mean, this is just in general, but when you see someone experiencing harassment or um, being, you know, visibly... Uh, maligned uh, by others, you know, stand up, say something, and, you know, not even just, like, be an ally in, in general, but just have, have, be mindful of the impacts that these, that sort of thing has on people and on the ways that maybe you can change the culture of the space you're in and uh, make the space, those spaces feel more accommodating to people of different experiences. So, and as you were both outlining that there is this, um, you know, we may have this wish list of things that could create just this inclusive space, but we may not even be at the beginning. We're still needing to create that essential, you know, the basics of safety. And so I thank you both so much for the beginning of the beginning of outlining all of the ways that our communities can begin, hopefully build this awareness and keep learning and hearing voices so that we can actually move forward and create safety for the wellness of everyone. So thank you both. Thank you for joining us for Reach for Wellness. If you would like to stay tuned for future episodes, I invite you to follow our YouTube channel, follow our Facebook pages, visit our website also that has links to all of this. And that website is www.communityreachcenter.org. Talk to you next time.